Well, hello, Mary. I am here with Mary Horn, who is a counselor that I have come to know throughout this process of um, talking about some of these issues. And I, um, I think she has some really fantastic insight and experiences to share. And I really look forward to this conversation. So thank you so much for joining me today, Mary. Oh, my pleasure. And it's been fun getting to know you. Yeah, it's been really fun getting to know you as well. And thank you for um, being so welcoming and, and um, generous with your time with me. I really appreciate it. We've loved having you uh, come around. Thank you. So, um, Mary, would you start by just sort of introducing yourself and um, and then uh, mainly what I, I guess I'm, I'm interested in hearing is kind of how you entered this conversation and and what have been the um, experiences and impacts of ideology in your work and um, professional and educational experiences, really? So um, I'm, I'm a devout born again Christian. So that's where I get all of my values from uh, is Bible, biblical truth. And so that's the foundation for every, every part of my life. Although, I, you know, none of us are perfect. And I, I try to maintain that as my compass. Um, so, you know, originally I wanted to be a missionary, but in my second career, but found myself in graduate school. Um, I went to Argosy and graduated in 2012. I remember a diversity class, multicultural class, whatever that was called at the time. Um, and it seems like eons ago now with, you know, how things, how the conversation has changed since then. But I was really struck by um, being in that class. And uh, I think, I think it was Obama and Romney were running for president. And I think there was just this really weird echo chamber where everybody assumed in the class that everybody agreed on politics or whatever. And I'm not Mormon, but I was just struck at how openly angry the, the attendees in the classroom were about Mitt Romney. Wow. And and I, the teacher, we were on a break. I remember, you know, this, this conversation coming up on our break and the teacher was kind of letting us talk. And I finally said, I, you know, it's really weird to me that you guys just believe that everybody agrees with you. Cause I'm, I know that there are people in this room who are offended right now. Mm -hmm. And there was no apology. The teacher didn't use it as as, you know, something in a multicultural class to, it would have been great. But she just went on to where we were at in, you know, after the break. And, you know, I am, as an older person, I am comfortable with my beliefs. I didn't need to change anybody's mind in school. I was just there to get my education and get out. So I, that was it. But I did have a couple of taps on the shoulder saying, thank you. Mm -hmm. And so, but it, it, even then it wasn't as intense as it is today. Okay. So, so going forward, I was a generalist and went right into private practice. And then I got my first OCD client and fell in love with OCD and acute anxiety disorders and have, um, 
you know, it, it's a crazy niche where there's, we're really underserved and you have instantly have these long wait lists. And so I decided to open a group practice, which opens you up to so many other different scenarios when it comes to all kinds of situations, insurance billing and ethics and all kinds of stuff. And so, um, but the, but the plan at that point was always to train interns. And so, um, it's why I really, um, connected with your story because I had worked with the local grad schools and, and then the, um, remote grad schools as well. And, um, we, you know, without sharing any client information, we were doing some groups and there was some situation that came up around this idea, um, of pronouns and, um, long story short that the group, uh, ended abruptly because of some offenses and, um, hopefully I, I mean, I took personal responsibility. I called, I, there were interns in, uh, observing. And so I called the graduate school and said, Hey, just want to let you know what's going on. Um, and I don't, I actually haven't told you this story before. Um, they worked really well with me. I mean, they were great. They got supervision of supervision and we, you know, they were really open to talk about the situation. I wish I could have gone back to each of those clients and had a conversation, but it, um, that we kind of agreed with the grad school and, and the supervisor that I talked to um, after the fact that it might not have been the best to, you know, offend them any further. So, mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, but of course that school never sent me another intern. Mm, okay. So even though they were willing to work with me through that particular issue, um, it was important enough to them to not actually work with the issue. It was okay. We'll, we'll deal with this, but but and there was never a conversation. I just never heard from them again. So, wow, just just gone. Yeah, and, you know, I it's not unexpected. You know, I'm not hurt by it. We still have interns coming in. You know, it's just you know, exactly what you kind of expect in, in the Seattle area and in, in, in today's climate. So it sounds like it's sort of an echo, it's like an echo of that previous experience. So that first experience where this really was, was salient to you was in, you were still in graduate school and you had this class where it felt like we're not going to be neutral here. We're just going to be out with it. This is endorsed from the professor and it's just this echo chamber as you describe it in the class which it's I'm and I don't want to assume your stance on it but I'm, I'm putting myself in your position and I'm thinking I would expect neutrality I would expect like an academic open inquiry we're going to especially we're talking about multiculturalism I mean, yeah it's the whole class is about like diversity which is like why would you not respect all the different things that could come up and make them into learning experiences and learning examples? And so, yeah. It would have been great. It would have been so great to us, to use this as like, hey, your students, let's talk about this. You can't assume anything about your clients. You can't mm -hmm. assume that, 
everybody in Seattle is liberal. You can't assume that everybody it, that is of a certain faith believes everything from, or even knows what they believe about their faith. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had, I don't turn clients away because we don't agree on social or political or religious issues. That's crazy town. Um, but when there's something I don't know, you know, I've had Muslim clients where I've been like, tell me about how your faith is. This is how it is for me. Mm-hmm. How is it for you? And we've had some really beautiful conversations I've learned and, and they've, I mean, I care about people. I don't want to assume anything. And so this idea that we're assuming the one way is just nuts. Mm-hmm. And, and it, I don't believe it serves our clients very well. No. And, and the thing that you're talking about there, it really highlights something that struck me in my counselor education um, you're not assuming anything about your client and you're inviting them to tell you about what it's like to be that, to be them, to what is it like? And if we have, even if we are both of say the same faith, we are going to experience that differently. And so you don't want to assume that you, even if you have very similar experiences and backgrounds and, and think that you're talking to somebody who reminds you of you, you have to know that what it's like to be that other person is different. And something that was really um, in it was it was in contrast to that. The way that I was being trained was that we're supposed to come in and have preset knowledge for different identity groups. So I'm supposed to just that like there's this whole it's offensive to ask them to do the emotional labor, right? To tell you what it's like to be them, right? And and I will say, you know, if I assume that I, I have a client in front of me who's a Catholic and I assume that what I know about Catholicism is how they present, mm-hmm. I'm going to miss a really rich interaction with them. The other thing too is, um, you know, my business is called Cornerstone. Hopefully that's a, that's a beacon for people. That's a, that's a Christian word. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also a building word. So some people who aren't of faith might not know that that's a Christian word. So I'm pretty open about it. Um, but I don't, if, if people want to talk about faith in their sessions, then we do. Mm-hmm. I kind of talk about it just because I, I might say, Hey, this is how it is in my faith. What is it in your value system so that we can find a way mm-hmm to work through this particular problem. But when a per- when a Christian comes in front of me, I ask them, what denomination do you come from? Because I know enough about different denominations where I don't want to be offensive and say, hey, you know, you can't lose your salvation. And I'm talking to a Pentecostal where they might believe that. Mm. And so it's, it's, diversity is so much more than just what it's been defined as today. Mm -hmm. And that you're bringing up something really um, important there because you're talking about even within this is, we, we have these broad categories that we're being told, which this is just, it's endlessly shocking to me that this is infiltrated counseling where we're supposed to know that the individual goes down to the very smallest level. I mean, every single person is their own worldview and, and it's just, (laughs) Yeah. So you're, you're saying even within, you know, uh, American Christians, which is this tiny little group, 
And let's even say, let's even make them white. We can even make them white, white American Christian. You know, the denomination is going to make such a difference. So we're this intersectionality where you can divide people based on these really broad categories and think that you know something about them. I can't, you know, these are immutable characteristics Mm -hmm. that they're not choosing. Yeah, yes. And 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 how dare anyone say that they speak for an entire group of people yeah you know i have a range of black friends who who would say well that's not how it was how i was growing up mm-hmm. yeah one person say that they speak for the black community that's yeah. why are we calling that out yeah yeah and if I said I spoke for the white community, you could hear how much how nuts that is. We're not even allowed to have a white community, first of all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, fine, whatever. But yeah. <laughs> it's offensive to say that. It's offensive to say the white community, which, yeah. is, which is nuts. That's insane. And then to then say that somebody would be a spokesperson for that is yeah. just as nuts. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And, I think- that I'm white because I have a, a large uh, percentage of Native American in mm. me. And so, you know, my joke has always been get off my land. You're assuming <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that you know something about me yeah. by my immutable characteristics, mm-hmm. right? My blue eyes and my, my light skin. You don't know anything about me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. It's so true. And, and so when you're talking about, so there's, this weird oversimplification and reductive um, ideology that that you're you're seeing sort of come in, and you said you were what you're seeing now is so much more even than then. But there were there were shadows of it, you know, creeping in even back then in like the 2012, 2010, you know, timeframe. And as moving forward in your practice, was this this issue with the pronouns and I'm trying to kind of read between the lines, but I'd also, also, it sounds like you're being intentionally vague because you don't want to risk saying anything that would be specific to anybody, but it sounds like someone in the practice um, offended somebody else by not either not using or. Oh, yeah. I will tell you right now. It was okay. me. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you, know, I, you know, I offended uh, the group because of pronouns. And so um, it was really interesting. I didn't get a chance to talk it out or explain, um, but I don't, I, I really don't want to say much further because I don't want to go beyond, yeah. you know, I really want to protect anything. That has, yeah. Yeah. With, with that. And so do you um, want to explain your general stance without stance, getting into that? My, my stance is a biblical stance. Ma- males and females are born males and females. And I think it's really offensive for someone to put on lipstick and fake breasts and say that, you know, what it is like to be a woman. And I'm, I'm frustrated at, um, at the feminists and women in general who would diminish femininity and, and, and femaleness and women it's, it's offensive to me. And so I don't need to say that in, in session, but I, you know, I, my stance was, I would prefer to use your name than a pronoun that to me is a lie. Mm -hmm. Okay. As, and, 
and you can change everything about yourself. Um, if you appear to be the other gender and it it's natural that you have, if, if you're a female to male transition and you dress as a male and you look like a male, I'm going to say he, because mm-hmm. that's how you're presenting. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, there were some that were, um, wanted to be called they, that really frustrates me because my, my, um, my word, <laughs> you know, using proper yeah. words, uh, sort of grammar, yeah, using yeah. Grammar, you know, I don't say they for a single person, mm-hmm. um, this never comes up in individual therapy. And so what's really, really sad is we decided to take a, a break from doing our IOP because we wanted to figure out what we were going to do. And, and in groups, you are going to use pronouns. And so, um, I, I chose to, to try to find a middle ground for my, my own situation and use just names Mm -hmm. and, and I didn't get to have the conversation. It sounds like you're trying to stay internally consistent while still being as respectful as you can be towards the other individual. And through a lot of circumstances, um, I was out of the group for a while because I had a family member I had to take care of. And so it was the day I came back from mm-hmm. being absent and it was, it was very stressful. So mm-hmm. I, I really would have loved to be able to have a further conversation, but it just wasn't, it wasn't going to happen. No, oh, that's really too bad. It must've yeah, been a painful it, experience. It really is. I mean, like I said, you know, I, I have a very diverse range of friends. And so I've ha- I'm, I, I love having conversations about these things and, and it's never my intention to be offensive, but I also want my own personhood to be taken into consideration when, when we're having conversations like this. And so I, I felt using names instead of pronouns was my my ability to do that but again you know it I think if I was able to have a conversation with people one-on-one we could have come to some agreement and and to be perfectly honest after after the whole thing and after I talked to the super the super but after I had supervision of supervision and I talked to the school I actually did decide to um use the pronouns that my clients requested. Mm-hmm. But again, I never got that. I never got that opportunity mm. to share that with them. And so if, you know, if by chance any, any of those people in this group are <laughs> in that group are watching today, I would, I would love to let them know that after thinking about it, I came around to, you know, if you prefer, and I can remember mm-hmm. to call you by a certain pronoun, I want to honor that. I don't want to be it's your truth, my truth. It might be, you know, it might be difficult and hopefully you'd be patient with me, but in that group setting, in a, in that therapeutic setting where it was really important to them, I think looking back and having, having the opportunity to think about it, it was more therapeutic in that Mm -hmm. moment Mm -hmm. to not make that the the issue in an OCD group. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And so you just, it was a new kind of issue that was coming up for the first time and you tend to have a uh, perspective on this 
And so you entered into this and we're feeling it out. And it just, it was, it was sometimes with these things, when you don't have, you haven't given it thought ahead of time and decided I have a policy or I have a, this is going to be what I'm going to do. It's kind of coming out organically. And so this was sort of this, this kerfuffle <laughs> over yeah. pronouns. And I'll tell you, one of the yeah. things that came out of that was we did create a policy for Cornerstone. Okay. That, that our policy is that um, we will use the person's preferred pronoun mm -hmm. yeah. as, as an organization. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that's, it sounds like it, it, you know, you're making a choice on what seems to be most therapeutic and appropriate in the moment. It, yeah. And I, now you're talking about something therapeutic. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that it is the most therapeutic. Okay. Well, that's, that's great to talk about. So you're, it sounds like it's a different situation because yeah. I'm working on OCD you're working and on not the, gender issues. The presenting concern. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, it, when, you know, when it comes to gen, if we're talking about gender dysphoria, mm -hmm. I, um, I would, I would probably approach that exactly as Jordan Peterson did in the Chloe Cole interview, where mm -hmm. I would if, if I was working with gender dysphoria, mm -hmm. right? But I'm not, I work with OCD and anxiety disorders mm -hmm. and I, you know, it's not our wheelhouse. I refer, if somebody has that as their main uh, concern, I refer that out to people who are trained in that area, mm -hmm. right? But um, where it may come up in OCD is the questions that come up a lot of times with OCD, which is for straight people, am I gay? Am I, you know, relationship OCD where I fear that I might be gay, not because I'm a, I'm a homophobic, but because I think I'm straight and what if I'm gay? Because OCD is what if questions all the time. Um, I have gay clients who fear, well, what if I'm straight? What if I have to leave, you know, my partner and go be with a straight person? Like it's the same thing on both sides. And mm -hmm. And we do have occasionally someone that says, what if I'm trans? Um, and we work through that like every other OCD topic. And we don't have uh, any uh, investment in whether somebody is, the answer to their question is yes or no. Mm -hmm. We try to help them work through the anxiety of uncertainty. Mm -hmm. So our goal is to live in the uncertainty and whatever the answer is, everybody is going to be comfortable with that. So it, it's a totally different way of, of doing counseling, which is why nobody works with CT, right? But therapeutically, I don't know that, um, especially the younger the child, like, you know, I don't know that affirming is personally as a therapist i don't know that affirming is is the most therapeutic thing to do when that is the what they're seeking treatment for but again um don't worry about it because i'm not gonna that's not why you're seeking treatment for me <laughs> yeah that makes sense yeah it makes total sense um and yeah so for what you're talking about there, I, and, and this is kind of getting into a tangent, but when I went, my first red flag, when I started the counseling program that, that I've spent, that all these videos have 
<laughs> been launched from um, was the pronoun issue coming up in the in a group interview where I was being interviewed with a group of other prospective students and they went around and asked us to state our name and our pronouns. And I thought that is so strange. I've never experienced this before. And it's a, it's a mental health counseling program. And they're going to ask us to tell them our pronouns, like as if you can't, as you know, I'm sitting in front of you. I mean, I, I, and, and this is the thing I could see this being some kind of a politeness ritual, if we had an individual in the group that was really um, uh, androgynous and you couldn't tell, and you wanted to make sure that you didn't um, you know, offend that person, I, I totally get that. You don't wanna be confusing you know, or offensive to that individual. You wanna be respectful. And so if I'm in a group of five people and there's an androgynous individual and we with all an have an androgynous to name with an androgynous name. Yeah. It's not Shirley or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> or, or Matthew, but right. you know, yeah, Chris, or, you know, somebody who's really androgynous presenting and you're just not sure there's a politeness ritual I could see going through where we all go ahead and do that. Right. Right. But we, but let's we weren't see. in that situation. Plug any other issue into it. Right. I think this is a really great way to find, find, the logic in something, let's plug any other issue into it. If you and I said, oh, hey, Leslie, it's nice to meet you. My name's Mary and I'm white. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's what is, that's where it's nonsense. Yeah. I, I'm presenting as a female. It's, you should be able to assume that you can call me she in a group. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't. And so the logic of everybody doing it, it mm-hmm. is this, it really is a pre-punishment. Pre-punishment. Will you say more about that? Yeah, it's, it's, there's two parts to this. I'm going to punish you before you make the mistake, which there's no mistake. You're presenting as a female. So I'm going to assume you're a female. There's no mistake there, but we're, we, we're going to pre-punish and, and not only that, but we are going to make you agree with our position right? Not only do you have to do what we tell you, but you have to believe this along with us, right? You have to believe that this is the right way to approach life. So we're going to do pronouns and you're going to say them even when things are obvious. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's, 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 you know, look at narcissistic behavior. It's really controlling people it's it, there isn't anything beyond that it's i i'm gonna control you in this yeah. time yeah okay that makes perfect sense and uh i see how you're framing that and i like that it's it it is interesting it, it I, I come back to the idea of of i think i could be okay with it even that ritual if there's sort of a I think in that situation, if you did have a small group of people and one person who was androgynous and we wanted to all make sure we were being very polite, there would be sort of a collective collusion in which we would all be aware of why we were doing it. And we would be doing it as a gesture of, of generosity and, and inclusion. So I come, I guess that's where I fall on that is I could see maybe I, I willingly participating in that in some situations. 
However, it feels very wrong to be forced to do it in the way that you're describing this sort of forced agreement because you are, it's like you're grouping yourself with that ideology by adhering to their request. And I learned not to do that throughout that program. That first time I did it because I was caught off guard and it felt so wrong to me. I felt so yucky for having participated in it. And I learned that there are other ways to get around it without causing a conflict. And so my favorite was just to say, I don't have any special requests. And then that kind of, they, they kind of are stumped, but then they're forced to be the one having a, a conflict with you if they take it further. And, uh, you know, it usually just moves along. To me, that seems like, I joke, I don't, I don't love saying couples anymore, but I joke that with couples, there's no such thing as compromise. And I think that this, you know, my example may, may really push this here. That's a really great compromise. I don't have any special requests. It's kind of weird to even have to say it, but um, because this, just, the whole thing's weird. But <laughs> my example is you can't have half a baby. In a couple, you, you either have a baby or you don't have a baby. Somebody's got to make the decision and one of them is going to be disappointed in, in whatever the decision is. And when you're, when the couple is loving and kind with each other, we're disappointed when the other person doesn't get their way because I got my way. Mm -hmm. Right. And so an easier one is, do we sleep with the window open or the window closed? Mm -hmm. And we can present our cases with each other. When the window's open, my throat gets dry and I, you know, I, it, it hurts in the morning. Well, when the window's closed, I get sweaty and, you know, and I'm really uncomfortable when I sleep. If I'm the one pushing that and I say, you know, I'm sorry you have to be sweaty, but I really can't have a sore throat in the morning. Mm -hmm. I ache for my partner that that they're gonna suffer. There is no, there isn't that thing in this discussion. Mm -hmm. Right? No, I think uh, you're right. Cause even just the example that I give, it's a refusal to play the game. It's not a compromise, really. I mean, it it is in a way because it's like, I'm not gonna fight with you and confront you. That you're in the game because you have to say it. Yeah, it's true. That's true. So it's, you know, it's like, I, that's the thing that bugs me is no, you mm. are in the game. Yeah. It's so goofy that it's a game. Yeah, it is goofy. Yes. Yeah. It's a strange place to find ourselves. Um, so would would you tend to describe yourself as um, socially, politically somewhat conservative? How would you put yourself on that? No, I'm extremely conservative. <laughs> extremely conservative. Okay. So this is something that I am, I, I really respect about you is that you have this, you're, you're really open about who you are, but you're also really open to the other person being who they are. And I don't, I, I very much get a, a sense of, um, genuine interest in other people and genuine respect for other people's positions, values, and um, experiences and sense of self. And that okay. comes through. Thank you. I appreciate that. I love people. And I mean, that's a part of my faith is I love people and I don't need people to be like me in order for me to love them. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, as an evangelical Christian, I want people to love Jesus because I think it's, it will save their lives. But if 
you know, and I'm going to share Jesus because it's, that's a part of me, but those clients who know me the most, they put up with it and they, because they know I love them and they just, they get their OCD therapy. Um, but I don't see what the difference is between somebody who is bringing mindfulness and yoga and, and that kind of thing into their sessions with their clients all the time. They just don't understand that, that this is a part of their values and they're pushing their values on their clients. We're pushing our values on our clients, period, end of story, because it's who we are. Mm -hmm. And, and, and a person who, um, not that, not that I believe there's anything wrong with yoga. Um, but if, if somebody is really into mindfulness and yoga from that kind of Buddhist perspective, uh, then, you are pushing your values on a client if you ask them to do those kinds of those kinds of exercises. Mm -hmm. No, that's so a really good point. Because your counselor, whoever you're working with, isn't going to be some blank slate, unbiased person. And we can't pretend that that's a thing. It's, it's important to present yourself authentically and then let the person choose, can they work with you? And I've had people that decide they can't work with me or, you know, that put up with me. Um, but it wouldn't be any different if, I mean, I, I rarely bring my politics into anything because I just, that's not really, while I'm socially conservative, it's, that's not who I am. You know, my faith is who I am. But, um, but if, if a client says, hey, stop that, I'll stop that. Or, if, you know, but I have had clients that go, you know, I've got my OCD treatment and this, you know, values are such a huge part of the OCD treatment. And, um, I am pretty rigid in my faith and that I, I'm not, I, I need my clients to explain to me what their values are. I think it's, it, you've heard me say this in our consult groups, it, being a person of a religion, whether it's Christianity or not, your, your values are kind of written out in your, in your book, in your scripture, whatever that is. And so it does make things a little easier for people of faith to, to do the values work sometimes when, now, if a client knows when they walk in the door, what their values are, even if it's not religious, great, then, you know, but a lot of times we have to go and look at that stuff and, and do some work with them on their meaning of life and on, on their values, because they don't have something static that they, that they know exactly is their meaning of life. And so, mm -hmm. so um, and, but one way I'll do that is I'll say, you know, in my faith, this is how we do that. What's that like for you? Mm -hmm. I, I hopefully have, have not said to a client, well, you need Jesus. <laughs> That's going to fix you. I mean, good grief I really don't <laughs> but yeah that's the thing is when you know that's the part of even even though we had that weird situation in the in the diversity class in grad school I really felt like as of 2012 I did have a much more well-rounded view of things than they are today in in the grad and it's it's really, I think the thing that's the most distressing for me is how quickly that's come about with zero conversation of any 
you know, you just have to agree. And that's why I reached out to you um, when I saw you was, man, it's really sad that critical thinking was left at, at the door with you because it seemed to me like you really wanted to have a conversation mm-hmm. with your school and they didn't, they, they weren't open to it. <laughs> yeah, I th- and yes, you're right. And I, I think that it is one of the most stunning aspects of all of this is that there has been no conversation about it. I, I know I've said this a number of times, uh, probably people have heard me talk about this, but with, with everything else, just using counseling and just using counselor education as a backdrop, every other aspect, and even like the social sciences in general, sociology, social psychology, psychology, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of explaining that goes into all of the reasons why we think the way we do around these things. There's so much of the study of these subjects is the study of why we now have these perspectives and the history of how we have evolved to, have, to take the, the stances that we take um, in this field. And yet here's this social justice perspective that's dropped like a bomb right into the middle of it and subsumes the other things. And nobody's talking about why, nobody talks about. So prior to 2009, we used to think this, but in 2009, these thinkers came along and now we've changed, you know, we don't have that conversation. Yeah, and there's a sadness Mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. I will tell you, so the schools that I currently work with, Uh, you have to turn in their hours and you have to sign off and you have to grade them and you have to make sure that they're meeting all these requirements, which is really interesting because the students are very well-trained in social justice, but very ill-trained in how to be a counselor. And, And so one of my standard response on the very last question for the schools, when I send my, my evaluation back to them at the end of the term, each term is, Your students are very well versed in social justice. However, they don't they don't know um, some basics of counseling. One of the ones that drives me nuts is that I learned in grad school is um, the abbreviations for things. Right. So diagnosis is DX. Mm -hmm. Treatment Mm -hmm. is TX. Mm -hmm. Client is CX. Symptom Mm -hmm. is SX. That just seems to me like I shouldn't have to teach that to an intern. That should that should be something that is taught. When I was in grad school, we learned how to do notes. I didn't learn that from my internship. I learned that from my school. We learned how to take a progress note. None of my students know how to do progress. I'm happy to teach it. I'm, you know, it is what it is right now. But it seems to me that I've got really, really socially aware clients or interns who don't know how to do counseling, who don't so know anything. Like these- about- these practical, the practical application skills are, are absent. And, and there's this heavy emphasis on these other things instead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And, mm-hmm. and those of us in the OCD world have kind of a joke about grad school. We had one paragraph on OCD in grad school and that's it. <laughs> like, we understand that you're not going to know anything when you come into this internship, but it really is sad that I have to teach you basic counseling skills before I can even get to the oddball stuff we do with OCD and in, in exposure therapy. Mm-hmm. So uh, it would have been nice to have the, 
on some level, I guess it is kind of nice because I don't have to untrain them in, in the counseling skills and retrain them in exposure therapy. But guess what? If they decide not to go into OCD therapy, how are they going to go to general counseling at another organization? Because they know exposure therapy. Mm. We, do, we do general counseling too, but it it's they're, they're ill-prepared and, and it's, and the students, you know, weeks in are like, wow, I didn't know anything going back because this is about counseling. One of the things that I've learned that I have to do with, with my interns is we start with what's your orientation towards psychology, because that is how we did grad school at Argosy on day one, we picked an orientation we might not have known anything about it. You picked family systems or you picked Gestalt or you picked existential or most people pick CBT. And when you graduated, you had to present your master's thesis on, so you had two or three years to figure out what it meant. Mm-hmm. None of my interns have any concept about what they believe about psychology. Hmm. It's just a big blank slate. It's a lot of social justice. Okay. Yeah. Well, and that's what they're being trained now is to be social justice counselors. I mean, I, I don't know about every school, but I'm seeing a lot of that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, I, social justice is, you know, yay. We want, we want everybody to be treated equally. We want, you know, people to be heard and seen and understood and known, but we also want to be good therapists. Mm-hmm. Well, and I wish that were what social justice meant, because that's what I, that's kind of what I believed it meant when I first was introduced to the idea. And and now I know that it's a term of art that is a specific package of ideological um, presets. So, yeah. I, I know you're interviewing me, but I just, again, I said this to you before, I'm so proud of you for, oh, thanks, for Mary. taking this on and you know, it was thrust upon you. I can't imagine that this is where you thought you'd be when all of this started. <laughs> no. You, you very well know that there are so many therapists out there who tend to agree with you and I on this, but they cannot say it out loud. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my hope is that just through more conversations, it'll I, you know, and this is kind of one of the social justice words, normalize. <laughs> so I, I don't like to use the, generalize, the catch, generalize. generalize. Yeah. I don't want to, I want to, I want to make it do what I can to increase the confidence people have in being able to share these kind of thoughts, because I, I agree with you. It's just like the people who tapped you on the shoulder and said, thank you for speaking up back in that class. They're afraid to say, because there are genuine consequences. There are legitimate consequences for people. And it's a balance people have to consider. So, I, I expect consequences after having this conversation. Well, I, I hope that the consequences are that many people see that there's a wonderful OCD therapist that they can um, reach out to if they're having problems in their life or if they know someone who is or want to refer. So I do you want to do you want to give a plug for your your business? Do you want to give out your website or anything? Yeah, understandocd.com. Okay. Well, I thank you so much. Is there anything that you think we didn't bring up that you want to make sure we we talk about or any final thoughts? I think, I think that 
Um, I think that as an OCD therapist and seeing so many clients afraid to live in uncertainty, I think that this is one of those conversations that, you know, it's why I wanted to talk to you about it because I'm, I'm going to, this is an exposure for me. I don't know what's going to come out of this and who's going to be mad at me for, for being honest and, and talking to you. And I'm willing to live in that uncertainty and to deal with consequences because I believe truth is truth. And I, and I am who I am. Yeah, that's spoken with integrity and thank you. And I, I really value your, um, contribution to all of this you just are you're doing a fantastic job of standing in your truth and being who you are and and um, again I really think it's so important if you're going to see a counselor to know that that's an that's a person that's not a machine it's not a blank slate the way that we're teaching it now it's very it's becoming very mechanized and very technical it's almost like they're training technicians but that's not the case and you make some really good points about everybody that you go and talk with is going to have their own internal value system. We can't pretend like we don't, we are who we are. And the authenticity of that in relationship, although the focus is always on the client and not on the, the practitioner being an authentic, showing your authentic self yeah. is, is part of the package and it can't be denied. So, yeah. 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 Well, I would say that that was the biggest thing and in that group that uh, that I was sad about was that the the problem became about me and and you know it, it shouldn't have been so again I wish I could apologize to yeah. for that to those to those people in that group but well and I think that that's kind of the ultimate we're all still growing and learning and you it sounds like one of the things you took away from that is that despite feeling like there's some questionable utility in, in honoring some of these requests, it's still not the main point and it's not the main focus that you, after thinking about it, feel like should have been. Yeah, that's great. Well, thank you so much for sharing with me today, Mary. It's really nice to talk with you. You too.